You're listening to the Rural Advancement Podcast. Rural Advancement provides resources to empower, equip, and encourage rural pastors and churches. Join our community by visiting us at ruraladvancement.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Rural Advancement Podcast. Uh, we are excited to be a podcast that is by rural leaders for rural leaders. And so if you find yourself serving God in a small place as a pastor, or a deacon, or a volunteer Sunday school teacher, or you just want to make a difference for God's kingdom in a small town, we are so excited you're tuning in. We want you to be equipped and encouraged and empowered to minister um, for God where you're at. And so if you tuned in last week, I uh, highlighted a rural resource, right? It's a book that I came upon a couple months ago. It's entitled God's Country, Faith, Hope, and the Future of the Rural Church by Brad Roth. And if you tune into that episode, you're going to hear some of my own personal journey woven in through these awesome insights that jumped out at me from this book, you know, talking about prayer and, and abiding in God and why rural ministry matters. And so if you want to learn a little bit more about me and obviously a lot more about this awesome book that we're looking at in more detail today, check out that last episode as well. But hey, today, listeners, I'm super pumped because we have an awesome opportunity in front of us. On this podcast today with us is the author of the book, God's Country, Brad Roth. And uh, we get a chance to talk to him today about, man, just the heart behind the book and some of the really just fun and interesting parts of this book that stood out to me. And so um, without further ado, Brad, how are you doing, man? I'm great. Thank you so much, Joe, for the invitation to join you. I'm happy to be on this podcast. Awesome. Well, hey, before we get started, I think it only appropriate that our uh, listeners maybe know a little bit more about you. From what I understand, surprisingly, Kansas isn't exactly the most unique place you've ever ministered, actually. And so no offense to Kansas or anyone from Kansas, but I think you've got quite a story. And so would you just share some of your background in ministry with us? Yeah, well, thanks, Joe. Yeah, I, I grew up in on a farm in small town central Illinois and then went off to college and did like a lot of young people, I didn't, didn't go back to my small town. You know, I, I was off to college and then we went to Boston for grad school and then seminary in Elkhart, Indiana, which is kind of a Rust Belt city. And, you know, at that point, I really didn't have a vision for doing rural ministry. I didn't set out to be that rural church guy. I just wanted to serve God and I wanted to serve the church and kind of stumbled into it. Um, you know, we got called out to Eastern Washington State which is very different from the Seattle side of things in Washington. It's high desert, um, you know, fruit growing and lots of agriculture in that area, onions and potatoes. We served there for five years. Then we were down in rural Peru in the mountains um, around Cusco. And then we are, ended up in rural Kansas. Um, and we kind of have been moving to smaller and smaller places. Mound Ridge, Kansas, where we're at now is the smallest community we've lived in. But, you know, I just really, I, I think I kind of came to my love of the rural church. Sort of, there, there was kind of a parallel journey to this journey of finding ourselves in smaller and smaller places. And it was that, you know, I, I, I always root for the underdog. And, and there was just something that grew on me about the, the way that rural communities have this kind of special genius. And that the rural church was really underappreciated and misunderstood. And, you know, it felt like people kind of were either weren't paying attention to it at all or were treating it in this sort of semi-mythological sense as this place 
out there. But no, it didn't seem like, you know, at least there was attention being paid to practitioners who were really doing the creative work on the ground to ask those questions of like, what, what is rural? What is, what's the rural church doing here? And how is it a little bit different from um, the way church is going to play out in a suburban or urban area? And I think one of the most exciting things for me is that there has been this groundswell of interest in rural and some really wonderful resources that have been coming out in the last, you know, five, six or so years. Um, I mean, those voices were there, but it's kind of like the, the spotlight got turned on them. And I think that's a beautiful thing and part of what's beautiful about the moment that we live in. Yeah, and I couldn't agree more. I uh, Even in my own context, I love how you contrast uh, Eastern Washington and Western Washington because I live in Eastern Montana and it's not Glacier National Park and it's not the Rocky Mountains. And there have been people who called our East Side Assemblies of God churches and said, oh yeah, we're excited to move to Montana. We're excited to ski and go to the mountains. And we say, well, no, we're not that side and click, you know, you never hear from them again. It's just so funny that you've walked that experience as well. Yeah, I really enjoyed this quote from your book. It, it uh, really, even in the first, I believe it's in the intro or the first chapter or something, but it says, I stumbled into my love affair with rural communities and congregations and they continue to grow on me. It's a love that developed as I came to see the beauty, share the struggles of places and people far from the city centers. I was drawn back to rural. And obviously you shared a little bit of that. And obviously I I, I definitely think you're right at home on this podcast because uh, our goal also is just to empower and validate the rural church. But why do you think, you know, I mean, maybe elaborate in a little more detail. Why do you believe the rural church just has so much inherent value. Like what, what really about the people and what about this moment? And, and obviously the context is right for it, but like, man, why is it, you know, that we just fall in love with these small town places, you know? Yeah, that's a really great question. I mean, I think theologically speaking, and for me, I always want to ground everything that we do back in the scriptures, back in kind of these baseline theology of ministry. And I think theologically speaking, like the, the rural church is really a sign of God's love for everyone everywhere, right? Like the fact that there are rural churches at all says something about the nature of the church, right? That it doesn't matter how small a place is, how sparsely populated, how isolated, God is there, right? And if and people yeah. are there, and so then the church is there. Um, and so every time we see a rural church, I mean, maybe this kind of sounds, um, you know, a little over the top, but I think every time we see a rural church, it is a reminder that God's love goes to the farthest horizon, right? Like God loves us that deep. Wherever there are people, God wants to be there. That's where the gospel's got to go. Um, you know, and so that's kind of like the baseline theology. But then, you know, you just, rural churches, and, and look, I love, I love urban. I love suburban too. Sure, like, yeah. I, no one's, no one's dissing like on the urban but, church, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I think what, what I've come to really appreciate about rural communities, like, um, and, and there's tough spots too, but the, what I really appreciate is that, that, often tight-knit character right when when somebody's house burns down like you know people show up with casseroles and beds and they're like they're there to help when there's you know when they're when there's just a need people are volunteering people are there and so there's that sense of like we're all in this together and I think it's you know it's not that people in the city or suburbs don't have that but it's like it's just us out here right like we got to take care of each other um, you know, you don't, you can't call on some of the same resources that, that you could if you're, you're in a city of a million people. And so um, like there's you, the neighbor, you got to be a neighbor because there, there's just us. And so, you know, I really value that. I mean, there's lots of other stuff that I value, but I think it's, it's oh, it sure, comes down sure. to that, that character of like togetherness that can really be a beautiful thing in rural communities. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Honestly, it was really wild that you said that because legitimately like 
a month and a half ago, we had a, a house burned down in our rural mm-hmm. community. And sure enough, like that exact thing of like casseroles and bedrolls and like literally like you could not have read my mail better. And that's so great about rural church. I, I love I love, I love, I love just your take on that. And for anyone uh, curious about the tone of the book, one of the things I respected about you, Brad, is when we were, uh, when I was reading it, a lot of people uh, who validate rural do so at the expense of urban centers and at the expense of the of the larger church or the mega church model. And I just really respected your willingness or rather your unwillingness to go there. You know what I'm saying? Where you said, hey, this is not a book about putting down urban centers, but about valuing another part of the body of Christ. And, yeah. and I think that's exciting. I want to dive in. So just kind of moving through your book and some of the, the key concepts here, you speak of what it means to abide in the rural church. Obviously, a very biblical word comes out of John, like a super cool concept. But the way you applied it, you know, for our listeners, can you maybe elaborate on why you feel abiding is so important and how it changes ministry as we do it versus like what ministry could be if we embrace this idea of abiding. Yeah, right. So like you pointed out, it's mentioned in John. I mean, this is a word that Jesus himself uses that, you know, he talks about, especially like John 15, abide in me as I abide in you. And and so it's this image of being present with Christ. And then I think that translates into practicing an intentional kind of presence in a place. Um, and that, you know, that that's the theology of it, but I think it also comes down to this just baseline uh, act of love, of showing up and remaining in a place, not being in a hurry to get out of there. And, and, you know, and this this is one of those kind of like hobby horses that I think we get on, but it's so true that often rural places uh, don't don't get the same kind of a sustained attention and the sustained presence from pastors. And so just doing that, like that basic first step, already kind of changes the dynamic. And what it does, I mean, it, it gets us off of strategy a little bit. I mean, in one way, abiding is a strategy, but it's like sure. the, the strategy of strategy because it's it's uh, being present with this kind of love of Christ in a place. You know, it's connected to the incarnation. And, you know, and so it's building up trust. Um, it's building up credibility. I think practically speaking, we often underestimate just how long that trust and credibility takes to build. Um, you know, I think like we, we like in, in my family, we've been most, you know, successful, if you can say that, when when we've just taken the time to patiently be with people. Um, you know, I mean, there's there's one family that started connecting with our church that um, we got to know them, honestly, 10 years ago when wow. I was... Uh, our, our little kids were playing and then, you know, I ended up being a soccer coach for, for some of these kids. And it just kind of took that long to build that trust and to let them know that we're solid. We're not going to take off it at any moment. And, and we really, we care about them, not just them as, you know, another number on our roster or something like that. And so I think that's what abiding really does. I mean, it's rooted in what Jesus himself did in the incarnation, but then it, it, it plays out as kind of like this strategy that's actually an anti-strategy. Wow. And I really love that. I mean, honestly, like I had, I had a moment just the other day where, uh, cause I definitely moved from the biggest town in Montana to one of the smallest from Billings, which has a metro area of 150,000, which of course is not huge, but for Montana, of course it's pretty huge. And then I moved to Baker, which is a town of like 1200 and definitely different. And I, uh, every year I just was like, oh man, the community is opening up to me more and more. How many layers are there? And then literally uh, just this last six months, I had a couple approach me and say, hey, we've been watching you for the last several years and we want to make a donation to your youth program. And it was a pretty sizable donation. And it was still 
like it was so crazy to me that I was like I've been here almost a decade like and still still there are layers of this community that are just now opening up and I think you're right but like the power there oh so cool so cool I definitely man when you were going down that route in your book I was just I was in heaven I was like this this is good stuff um cool thank you for sharing on that uh let's continue on let's talk about prayer uh, one of the things you say in your book is that we need to understand that being in prayer is productive, even though it kind of feels like it isn't work in the traditional sense of the word. Because obviously, um, the rural mindset tends to be pretty blue collar, tends to have that. And I think you even mentioned this in your book, has that impression that, well, the pastor works one day a week, and what do you really do? And and so obviously, uh, the need to prove ourselves, you know, and kind of have that blue collar mentality is huge. So how do we redefine productivity like how can you speak maybe uh to that yeah well and and bivocational ministry i mean i'm, I'm full-time at my church but i think bivocational ministry potentially does give you an end of course it's got some drawbacks because then you're, you're sure, sure. divided even more ways but um i mean i think just doing the work of prayer as if it were work because it is work you know and for me, it comes down to this idea that the church is really a divine human alloy. And so that means that ministry is also going to be this kind of alloy. So we have to open up spaces within our ministry where we are present to God and paying attention to God and letting God just work out what he wants to do in our lives and, and do that around us. And I mean, I think every time I've it's really practical, honestly. Every time I've talked to a, a pastor who says, like, you know, something good is happening here. We're, you know, get, experiencing some level of revival in our church, you know, however they define that. There's always a component of prayer that is built into that. You know, it's the it's the ladies meeting on Sunday morning to pray sure. together. Yeah, it's, the, yeah. it's, the, it's always there, right? It's the Wednesday evening prayer group. Whatever it is, there's always prayer. And look, like, we, we do the work of prayer. And I think part of what makes it hard is that when you do when you do the hands-on work, like you sort of, you, you do something that's a project, you see it completed, or at least you have some sense of it, it, it you know, where it's going, but prayer is, um, you know, I don't want to sound like a dork, but it's more meta. And so there, there's this mystery to prayer, right? You don't always know what it's right. accomplishing. And I think of course the, the, the really famous example of that is in like the book of Daniel, right? Where it's like, you started praying and it took 21 days for the, you know, for me to, fight through the the prince of persia and to get to you you know and so um there's stuff happening that that we are not always aware of and i mean that's been part of my experience you sometimes get some little glimpses of what is happening with prayer and the way that it's opening up doors and i mean i love like how paul in colossians 4 3 says like pray pray for me that god would open a door for the words that i can declare the mystery of christ you know and so um you just have these moments where suddenly like there's that like clear air between you and somebody else and like you know so we got to be courageous to step into that to to talk to be present but I, I i have these this sense that it's because of prayer and you're just the other day i was um you know i, I try to build prayer into my weekly routine i i, I fast um, I have a, I, I, Fridays, I, I really spend some intentional time in prayer and I, I do that to some extent on Wednesdays too. But, um, you know, I had this experience where I was talking to somebody the other day and he just like, it was my prayer day, right? I was talking to him because I don't know why I'm sharing all of this with you. And I, and I wanted to say, it's because it's because of all this prayer work that's it's happening. It's prayer just, day. This is yeah, what we do day, on prayer day. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just like, I don't know what all that yeah. means for him and whatever, but it just opened up that space for God to be present and do God's thing. I mean, God 
wants to show up. Jesus wants to be present with people and minister to them through us. I think that's what prayer, like that's the tool, or if you want to put it that way, that God um, has given us to make that happen. Yeah. And honestly, like, I don't know if, I mean, I'm sure you felt this too, but, but especially when I was reading that part about prayer, I thought of all the, I guess, immovable situations that I feel like you encounter after a long time in a small town where you're like, okay, there's been some history here. There's been this, there's been that, there's been stubbornness. There's been, they've heard it all, whatever. But like, what do you have left after that? Right? Like it's a prayer. Like you've tried and you're like, it's prayer time. I guess that's what we got, you know? So I just, man, I loved how much value you added to that. And as someone who has probably spent most of my life defining my value in terms of how hard I can work, prayer is the antithesis of that, where you're saying, hey, I'm, I'm, you know, I really love that term you used of just like this, this kind of hybrid of, of humanity and divinity meeting right there. And that's, man, that's so cool. Well, hey, let's, uh, let's carry on here. Um, okay, so this next part, I almost put your book down for a second, because I could not handle like where this chapter went. I was not ready. Listeners, I hope you're ready or maybe you're not ready. And that's the cool part. But like one of the most interesting concepts in your book was this idea where obviously there is a ton of language. As you mentioned, the rural church is kind of in a good spotlight in this season of culture. And there's a ton of language about how we reevaluate, how we resuscitate, how we revitalize, how we restructure. There's a lot of rewords. You know, there's just a lot of good happening. And uh, there's whole teams dedicated to taking old churches and breathing new life into them. And obviously these are all good things. And then you talk about what it means to like give a church or a work of God in a community, like a fitting death and death and a rural church is almost the antithesis of what we would expect. And so it really flipped it on my head. So maybe take a second explain that concept in detail because even people listening like what the heck is he talking about so explain that concept for a second and then like why you feel like it's so important because again even for me who's been at like at rural ministry for some season of life it just threw me for a loop and I was not ready for it so I'm excited for you to dive into that yeah well you're right learning to die well has mostly been ignored and that's probably a part of our that's one of our blind spots just as a culture um and you could even point to that at the individual level i mean people are often just like you got to keep fighting on um try every experimental treatment but it's like look we're people of hope as as christians we we believe in a horizon beyond this life and um and, and you know sometimes churches will will die some due to you know poor leadership or lack of imagination but often they die due to factors beyond their control, right? Like that just the, the demographics change, the, there's, it's just a different season. And it wasn't because there's somebody that you could point a finger at and blame. Um, and so I really want to decouple the concept of death in a church from failure. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think pastors in rural churches are often under this intense pressure to make the church grow as if that depended on yeah, the pastor. Like that's why, that's what we hire you, right? Like produce, make <laughs> yeah. it grow. Um, and, and there's just so many, like you alluded to earlier, immovable objects in rural communities, these historical dynamics, these community dynamics, there's congregational dynamics. You just, you do not have power over some of that. And I think part of it, I mean, the hopeful sense of talking about a good death is that, look, the church as the bride of Christ, it will never die, right? Like it is eternal. It is God's people into eternity. And Jesus is going to see through his, uh, you know, victory that he has already won both on earth and into eternity. But individual congregations do die. And so we want to kind of decouple the idea of failure and, and death. And I think um, 
the, the, the other piece is this, is that like grace is really tied up in that. I mean, if, if we have this mentality that it is our job to save the church, make the church grow, then it becomes all about our striving. And we forget that the church is always a grace. It is always a gift. And we can, um, you know, we can receive the gift well. We can live out that gift, but it is always gift, right? And so kind of like that basic stance has to be just like openness to what Jesus is going to do. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's not going to be. Um, the what we have imagined for for this church or this place, and I, you know, I, I think there. I was, I was talking to a, a pastor once in a really tiny town in Missouri, and she, uh, there was a little church there that had died, and then she came in and started this new work that, that really took off. And one of the like kind of the last members standing of the older church was like, "Why did our church has to have to die?" And it's like, well, who knows. But, but somehow that that came to an end and this new thing could be born. And, um, you know, you just you just have to allow that that death to happen sometimes and let it be a good death. And for me, what that looks like is meeting the churches where they're at, um, not overburdening them with expectations, not overburdening ourselves with expectations, holding it lightly. And but then also like helping congregations understand their story in a life giving way. Right. Like that that. Um, you can deploy the resources that you have left in a way that's going to give life to the broader church in the future, you know, towards church planting somewhere else, towards sure, mission, yeah. towards whatever, towards some community, you know, ministry in your community. Um, you know, you can, you can, you can do something here that is going to testify to the gospel and, and the goodness of God, even though the churches you've understood it may be coming to an end. So for me, like, that's kind of what it means to speak about a good death in a congregation. Yeah, and honestly, man, I hope that uh, anyone who's listening feels the Holy Spirit all over that, because honestly, like, how needed, I guess, is that word? Like, I mean, I believe that you've, you know, probably written a good book that's full of good stuff, but if you just gave me that chapter, I'd be like, no, this is enough, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's such good info, and it's such a good perspective, and I really believe that uh, that there's just going to be some awesome things that come from it. Uh, kind of a follow-up question to that, because I think, again, even in acknowledging, like, you could tell me right now, like, your church is, is at a point where we think it's actually kind of ready for this death or on this precipice, and like, how do you solve that? That still doesn't feel good to me as a pastor. Like no matter what, I'm still kind of like frustrated. So let's say someone tunes into this podcast. Let's say they kind of have an eyes open moment and say, wait a second, what if my church is, is here? How do you maybe take a second and speak to that pastor or that minister? Yeah. Well, I mean, I I think one of the most interesting ideas that I've heard about this is someone, uh, a pastor who told me that what their church did was write a living will. And, you know, we do that for individuals and saying, like, I don't want to be resuscitated if I reach this this state. Right. And did they did that for their church? They said, if, you know, our attendance reaches this number, if such and such happens, then that's when we'll know it's time to die. And once they had kind of done that, they were able to kind of set it aside take that fear of death off the table um, and just live, just be together, just celebrate, right? When new people wow. came, you were loading up those folks with all kinds of expectations and, 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 you know, um, anxiety because they got to fill our committees or something oh, like that. Or absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so I, I, that seemed like a small thing, but I kind of like that. And I think it's just, um, you know, th- we could definitely take this the wrong way. I mean, that, that it's uh, just love the people and don't care about it, but there is something about being present in love and, and releasing the ultimate destiny of that church to God and saying like, I'm going to go all in to connect with people, to be creative, to preach my heart out, to pray. But that's still, none of that 
is going to guarantee any particular outcome because of all the stuff that we discussed earlier. And so, I mean, that, that in some ways is an impossible stance to take, but it's sure. exactly the kind of stance that I think we're called to in the gospel, this sort of like um, th- this meeting of our own, our own giftings and God's just sheer grace. And so some, somewhere in there is, is like a, a way to kind of find our, our path between like, you know, a church that's about to die and like the, the hope that we have that it could yet live. Yeah. And honestly, uh, you know, I think that was a, a good counterbalance. It's like, obviously we dive into the weeds on a question like this and somebody might get the impression. It's like, well, is this what we're shooting for? Is this what we're hoping for? It's like, well, of course not. Like, of course, nobody's waking up in the morning being like, man, I hope more local congregations fizzle out, you know, of course not. But obviously we live in a real world and like church openings and church closings and a lot of this ebb and flow. And I, uh, I just so, I feel empowered personally, and I hope anybody listening would feel empowered because again, the idea of taking the fear of death off the table, even, even like our church, I, at least I don't believe, you know, even my local churches is, is in an unhealthy spot. And yet even just saying like, Hey, let's not even worry about that anymore. Suddenly there is, there's this freedom just to be like, man, I'm going to do the work of God as long as I'm able in whatever way I can. And, and that's okay. You know? And, and, and that's just, man, I hope someone listening again is just so encouraged because, uh, because I'm excited for that. Well, hey, um, yeah, let's just truck on, man. This is such good stuff. I feel like we could make three parts and just talk about how to give a good death to a church, but I guess that's what the book's for. And so honestly, you should really buy this book. It's available on Amazon and I'm sure many other places, but uh, it's really good. Anyways, uh, let's let's continue on. This is kind of a, a question I ask a lot of rural leaders because it's it's always great to, to, to speak from one kindred soul to another, from someone who gets it to someone who gets it. Um, what's the biggest word of encouragement you would give to a rural pastor who feels specifically like overlooked and ineffective? Because a lot of your your book is about value language and it's about saying, hey, what you do matters. And so maybe in your own words, um, you know, again, not that you haven't already printed a book full of them, but in your own words in this moment, what does it look like to encourage uh, a pastor who feels overlooked or ineffective in their context? Yeah, well, I think I'd first off just validate that we have all been there and we kind of go in and out of the desert in that way. I mean, it's, you know, um, you talk about like FOMO, like the fear of missing out. And and that I think I think that that's that is one of the particular features of the rural geography of ministry. I mean, that and it's not that we think like, oh, we we're worth more. We we deserve something better. It's just this sense of like, man, I'm working my my tail off and pouring my heart out in this place. And am I just like pouring water onto the sand of the desert? Is anything happening? Um, and so just acknowledge, I, I guess that that I've been there. Um, I go to that place like, you know, every other Tuesday morning and uh, <laughs> just kind of Man, like, you really got to spread far apart. If it's every other Tuesday, I was thinking every other day, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just, we, we feel this all the time and it's just a sense of what am I doing here? And am, am I making any difference in my, in my, in my gifts being used? And, uh, and I guess what I would just say to, to every rural pastor, because we're all there at some point, is this, that Jesus is with you. And, and I think that that, if we really take that to heart, you know, for me, it kind of goes two ways. And I, I um, the first thing I would say is just challenge yourself to more. And I don't mean like work harder, run faster, be more caffeinated, but just challenge yourself to more in the sense of like, uh, experiment see what happens, get outside the walls, don't fear failure, you know, a few things that are easier said than done, but just challenge yourself to like, kind of get out there, you know, don't don't be in a hurry, but, but show hospitality, be with people and just kind of see what happens. And so for me, like, that's, that's the key is like, challenge yourself to more because Jesus is with you. And if he's in it, then like stuff happens and, and, you know, we can find some of those wins out there. 
But at the same time, and it's kind of like a paradox, I think at the same time, like let yourself do less, right? Just remember that the ministry always belongs to Jesus. Um, rest, enjoy life, um, be the gospel by becoming this billboard for the good and abundant life. I mean, it's like you said earlier in this, this call that um, people are watching, right? And if we are always in a rush and we're always stressed out and we've got all this anxiety about the future of the community and the church and what's going to happen with our families, and are my gifts being used and am I missing out? Well, that, that is not attractive and that does not testify to the good and abundant life that Jesus promised and that I think the gospel really speaks to, um, you know, so, so, so allow yourself to, to do less, um, even as you're kind of challenging yourself to just try stuff and, and see what happens. And, and for me, it all comes down to this basic fact that, that Jesus is with you. He's in it with you. Man, that's so cool. Gosh, so encouraging. I love that. Well, um, hey, uh, a couple things just, you know, to, to give our listeners uh, a next step for this. Obviously, if you haven't gotten uh, my message from this podcast yet, my absolute message is you've got to buy this book. you got to check it out. Um, Brad, if they wanted to find your book, it's called God's Country, Faith, Hope, and the Future of the Royal Church. Where would they get a hold of that? Yeah, Amazon's a great place or the Herald Press website, or you could get it at your local bookstore. Sweet. Now, I do want to take a second. We have a few minutes left. And maybe just give us a brief idea, because if you guys don't know, um, luckily, Brad is more than a one trick pony. You know, he's definitely uh, he's definitely written this awesome book. And I was excited to tell him at the beginning of this call, I said, hey, uh, I just ordered your second book because you did write a new book. And so why don't you tell us the title of that, what it's about and, and you know, what led you to write it? Now, of course, when I say tell us about it, I mean, you've got like, you know, two, three minutes here, you know, so give us a synopsis. Like, what what are you feeling about this new book? Yeah. Well, I just published this book with Paraclete Press. It's called um, The Hunger Inside, How the Meal Jesus Gave Transforms Lives. And it's all about communion, which is a theme that's really close to my heart. It's really my communion memoir of, of my journey coming to the table that Jesus has laid for his people and finding incredible nourishment there. And so I'm trying to leave a breadcrumb trail for others to find that. And I think, you know, people in churches that, that practice frequent communion, that have a high view of communion would maybe just say, well, shrug, like I, we already know that. But sure, what yeah. yeah, what I'm hoping is that for folks in those communities, like they can kind of hear the, the voice of someone who had to find his own way because it wasn't such an essential part of my growing up um, and someone who doesn't take communion for granted. And for a lot of us that are in more evangelical, free church, Anabaptist traditions, um, you know, who maybe shrug in the other direction and kind of say, well, what is there to say about communion? To realize right. that Jesus, Jesus has given us this, this ritual, this moment, this encounter that contains all kinds of depths. Um, and, and finding out what I'm trying to do in part in this book is, well, I mean, I'm trying to spark the next reformation, but I'm also just, um, you know, trying to, to help us find find some of those those depths and just kind of, you know, some language that that will work for those of us that didn't grow up in some of those high churchy traditions. So, yeah, it's a memoir of my heart. I'm so glad to be able to, to have written it. Awesome. And again, uh, we're talking Amazon, you know, and and uh, I'm sure the the press website, you know, for sure. And all those things. So, hey, yeah, that's Paraclete exciting, press. man. Yeah. Paraclete Press. That's good to hear. Well, hey. Um, I love even in that brief moment, I'm like, man, you sharing your passion definitely fires up my passion. So for those of you turned tuned in today, excuse me, for those who have tuned in today, uh, we've been talking with Brad Roth, the author of God's Country, Faith, Hope and the Future of the Royal Church. And he's just released a new book um, called The Hunger Within. Am I right on that? Yeah. Hunger Inside. Yeah. Hunger Inside. I was so close. You know, I'll get it by the end of this. So 
Hunger Inside, Brad Roth. Check it out. And uh, we've enjoyed you being on today, man. Thank you so much for jumping on with us. Joe, thank you so much for this invitation. And I'm just really glad to be able to, to support and encourage rural pastors and leaders. Awesome. Well, once again, everybody, we look forward to the next time you tune into Rural Advancement. We will see you next week.